Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I believe it's episode number 125, we are joined by Robert Toll, the founder of 636 Advisors. Robert, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm delighted to have you. You're an interesting character. Uh, no offense to that. I've just done some research and I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, with all our conversations, we typically spend the first five to six minutes getting to know the guest, a little bit about the guest. We might spend a little longer than that with you because of your upbringing. Um, why don't you tell people? I know that you were born in North Carolina, but you've lived in a variety of different places where you grew up um, and what life was like growing up. So from your early years right to your late teens. Sure. I, I uh, was born in North Carolina, but uh, my dad rejoined the U.S. military, uh, the U.S. Army, when I was about 18 months old. And uh, we began a life of a lot of travel as a result of that, because it was fairly early in his career. So lots of six-month, one-year assignments type of things. And so lived in a variety of places in the U.S. beforehand, um, before moving to West Germany for three years. So actually lived on a American uh, mil- an army missile base in West Germany near the Rhine River with all the missiles aimed east at that time. And um, that was an interesting experience, but we also had relatives that were from Germany. So got to spend time with them, not just in a US mindset, but more of a local mindset mm-hmm. of being out and about in the economy and got to experience things more like a local, which was fantastic and got to see some countries there in uh, in Europe, which was great. Uh, spent a number of years in Colorado and then uh, Southern Alabama. So that was quite a variety of places there. And then finished my third um, high school of the high school years, finished that in Texas for my final year and uh, went to school undergraduate in Texas. So that takes me to late teens. Mm. And then eventually returned back uh, to graduate school about 10 years later. Interesting, interesting. And have you been back to Germany in the last, let's say, two or three decades? I've been back only in the airport, unfortunately, not not to uh, see it. I have actually found the base we lived on, which has since wow. been closed, but it's available and pictures are online of it. And for some mm. reason, it hasn't been reused. It was a very nice base. It was actually originally built by the French. Uh, so it was very nice. The uh, quarters and the places we lived were very nicely done. But for some reason, it I mean, it closed, which we can understand mm. the reason for that. But um, the fact that it hasn't been reused is sort of surprising for any other are you, purpose. Are you familiar with the name of the base or the area? Just a yeah, curiosity. It, it, it's, it Dex, Dexheim is the uh, the local town town between Mainz and Worms, and um, it's uh, Anderson Barracks is the uh, the name of the uh, the base. Excellent. I'm going to check that out. It's just out of my own curiosity. Um, Sticking with your early years, you, you actually before I move on from that, Germany, if you've not been back in the last three decades, well worth a visit. I go over to it uh, often, at least. I think I've been in Germany in the last five years, probably seven or eight times. Beautiful place. Oh, beautiful. Um, I've got I remnants also, of German still. I don't. I, I. I wouldn't pretend to speak it well. <laughs> I've been. I've been mocked for my speaking ability of it, but I have a memory because every day taking German for three years at a young age, it stuck with me. 
Well, so, you can speak it better than I can. There you go. My my dad used to say you only needed two words, bonk and beer, uh, to get along in Germany. So he's I can do wrong. better than that. I can he's do better wrong. than that, but he's not wrong. Um, sticking with your earlier years, influence and impact is a question I like to ask. So what I mean by that is people can usually pick uh, one person or maybe people no no uh, no bigger than the size of your hand, so no more than five people that had a positive impact on the person they've turned out to be. Um, an acquaintance, a childhood friend, a teacher, a parent, a close relative, a distant relative. Does any one or a number of people spring to mind for you? I think it's very interesting that, you know, your, your parents are always an influence. So that's almost a given that both my parents were a huge influence in my life. Hmm. But my my mom's dad, my grandfather that way, ran a small business. And I got to help him with that. And probably the early stages of helping him, I wasn't much help. But I got to work with him in his small business, a shoe store that he founded in North Carolina. So nice. I did that on holidays and would help him with that. And that became very interesting to see how he ran a business and how he started out and how he grew it to a successful business. And then my dad's father was a huge influence too, because he, um, he was a career Air Force, originally Army, and then moved to the Air Force, but served in World War II, was in a POW camp in uh, Yugoslavia. And, but he always had a very positive attitude to things and a good way of interacting with folks. So I don't both know. Both of them had a good influence. I don't know if your grandfather had an influence on your father going into the army, but was there ever any thought in your mind about going into it? There was. There absolutely was. Uh, I actually reached a point where I almost signed the papers to go in to the to the army uh, as I was graduating from college. And actually, the recruiter made a mistake in the fact that um, he was, you know, they always try to get their quotas. And mm. I understand this because even my grandfather served as an Air Force recruiter briefly after World War II. They, and he was wanting his numbers to be for enlisted people. And I had my college degree. It was just right at the finishing and getting my college degree, which would qualify to me to be an officer. And I knew the hard road my dad had growing from being enlisted at the lowest rank all the way to being a chief warrant officer for that was a hard road he had. And I'd earned the degree. And he was like, no, 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 you just need to go in as enlisted. And then once you go through basic training, then you can apply to become an officer. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. No. I respect what my dad did, but I'm not following, not if I've already gotten my degree. No. Mm. And that well, was the, that was a turning point there. What were your grandfather's names, both of them on your mother's side with the shoe shop on your father's side? Uh, Lester uh, was my uh, grandfather's name on my mom's side with the shoe shop. And uh, officially Wilbur, but he always went by Pat, but we don't know why he went by Pat. Maybe because he didn't want to be called Wilbur. I don't know. Well, um so he didn't want to call Will or Bill or anything like that. Although his mom called him Bill or Billy, uh, everybody else called him Pat. And we don't know why, but that's what he was always known by. Fair enough. Well, shout out to uh, Lester and Pat. Um, <laughs> sound like two uh, inspirational people that had an impact on who you've become today. Um, we're here today to talk about a number of things. One of them is 636 Advisors. Uh, rather than me spend 30 seconds kind of giving the elevator pitch, why don't you take the microphone and tell people what it is that you do? Sure. Uh, sure. I moved into consulting. I had a career in finance hmm. and uh, that world until about 2013. 
2012-2013, moved into doing consulting and broadened out for finance, information technology, human resources consulting with major enterprises around the world and uh, traveled and saw all sorts of interesting places as a result of that. And in 2018, went out on my own and uh, founded 636 Advisors, which is actually ties to something that to my grandfather's recruiting days in the Air Force and to my great grandfather being the first chief of police for the state of Maine. Wow. And it ties to ties to that. And um, and I started up and I had a mixture of I've worked with small businesses and entrepreneurs and sort of returned back to my roots of having worked with my grandfather with a shoe store, as well as my early career helping small franchisees get off the ground and mm -hmm. be more successful and cut their break even times in, in half. But I've also worked with more um, non-governmental organizations, more charitable organizations and helping them improve mm -hmm. their processes. And um, some with the uh, federal government too, of helping them with things. Interesting. Interesting. You 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 mentioned to travel there. I know you've been to places like and, and this is where work has taken you: Singapore, India, Colombia, Brazil, Hong Kong, um, Sri Lanka, Italy, France, UK, Poland. Forty-eight of the fifty states, maybe fifty of the fifty by now. Um, so, two questions there: uh, What's a skill set that you've sharpened as a result of traveling, and how do you or how have you any? tips you can share with how people can build rapport faster with others from having traveled and spent time in thousands of people's company? I think um, a skill set I've built is adaptability. It certainly was influenced by my early years with moving so much is you have to look forward and do that. But um, adaptability is certainly a skill set of being able to move quickly in a new environment without a doubt. Um, my advice to someone that was mm -hmm. looking to, to look for that experience is look for the unique things, realize you're the, wherever you're from is not the center of the universe. We're always tempted to think where we're from is the best. And we understand that, but be open to seeing and doing different things and trying different things wherever you go, whether it's in your country or in other places of trying different things and seeing things in a that um, almost almost live like a local person if you can, or get that experience. Don't just go to, you know, a McDonald's um, to get a hamburger if you're in Poland. Experience the local Polish restaurants, you know, and and see that. And whether you like the food or you don't like the food, at least you've been out there trying and seeing what it's all about. Mm, agreed, agreed. I've had the pleasure to travel to some amazing countries myself, and I couldn't agree more with that. Um, of the places you've traveled to for work or for personal reasons, have you got a favorite place? Mm. See, that's a challenge. I was always taught that your favorite place is wherever you are. Uh, so you don't look backwards at things. Um, I found, I think of any, I've, I have loved India and I've been there so many times. Mm. And although there were elements of the poverty is just unbelievable and horrible, but the, the heights and the growth and the, if I use an Americanism of a, the Wild West growing and changing and evolving so mm. rapidly, I find that just compelling of how quickly things can move and take it to the next level and make things better. And the very, very positive attitude of people in business in India. Mm. It's just very, very interesting. 
Interesting answer. I've never been there. Uh, it's on the list of places. One of my previous guests, four or five episodes ago, was an author from there, and uh, she paints it in a very good uh, image. And we had a good chat afterwards about places I should visit when I do make my way over there. Um, six three six advisors. Is there? And I know you've got a, a, a lot of experience in finance, being a CFO for a number of companies, both small and large. But when you think of people going out by themselves, like you did with 636 Advisors, what do you think holds people back from having that idea in their head to starting the business? I think it's it's probably fear, Rand. It's probably the fear of what happens if I'm not successful. And combined with not being willing to supplement for what they're good at, supplement those skills some other ways by renting for lack of a better term, experience like myself or somebody else might bring to help them or focusing too much on their weaknesses and not enough on their strengths. I think that holds them back that they, you know, are great at, you know, let's say they're a great window washer and they're fantastic mm. at it, but they don't know finance and accounting. They might get held back by that versus just hire somebody that knows what they're doing in that way and go develop the right process to be the best at what your skills are you're an author yourself i touched on the indian author i spoke to a couple of days ago uh don't be done is your book same question again with the whole can you give your 30 second commercial but for this time can you tell people what it is you wrote the book for who you wrote the book for and what the book's about sure sure uh the uh, the book is basically a leadership playbook to help people overcome obstacles um face challenges, rise more rapidly, whether in organizations or being a, an entrepreneur. And it's very much, I, I, it's one of those, I'd like to think everybody could benefit from it, mm. but it's also, I think it'd be very helpful for people early in their careers, whether that's deciding to become an entrepreneur, becoming an entrepreneur, or just early in trying to move their way through the ranks in business. We'll leave a link below if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen, or if you're watching this on YouTube or LinkedIn, perhaps if I take this as a snippet, uh, just click the link below in the comment field and you can purchase uh, Robert's book as well. I will also leave a link to Robert's LinkedIn account below and his website so you can learn more about Robert if you're interested in uh, contacting him. But uh, you grew up in the military. You've mentioned earlier on in this podcast, um, and I've listened to other podcasts that you've been on. So I've got a question around, you know, you've said that you've learned to enjoy the present moment as a result of growing up in the military. Uh, when people come to you and talk about the past, what holds them back, how do you work with them to change their perspective and kind of move and look forward? I think the um, one thing is that knowledge. I mean, I might have written a book called Don't, Don't Be Dumb, but it doesn't mean I haven't been dumb. Mm -hmm. I'm not frequently dumb every day. It's just something that resonates me from, from advice that my father gave me very succinctly, don't be dumb, when I was about 13 years old, and it helps you think about those. The advice I would give people to start with is, you know, have you invented a time travel machine? And their look of shock in their eyes is like, no. It's like, well, then you can't go back and fix what you've done wrong as a business. If you've started off on the wrong foot, you made a mistake, you lost an account, you know, you can't go back. So let's focus on what are your strengths? What are your opportunities in the business? What's out there that's threatening you? Um, you know, those type of things. What are your weaknesses? And let's focus on that and then figure out is the right thing to focus on your strengths? Do 
do you need to work on your weaknesses or do you just need to hire somebody to support you in that way or rent some expertise? I would, I would, I would go through an exercise like that with them to get them looking ahead versus backwards because it just gets you absolutely nowhere looking backwards. I like that. I do like that. Um, you got an acronym called stupid. Yes. Uh, and believe people should stop or believe people should eliminate stupid tasks. Can you tell the listeners what stupid stands for? Stupid stands for, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but it was slow, tedious, unproductive, inefficient, and duplicative. <laughs> I love, I love that. And uh, I will admit, you know, when you talk about failures, I, I myself and a colleague implemented it one time at a company and it failed miserably. Absolutely no, everybody hung up in the fact that you were talking about stupid and they just, it didn't work. And the second time I implemented it was as a major company and I put it in place with an identification form for people to simply take about five minutes, identify something that was stupid in their workplace, made it clear it wasn't related to people. We're not talking about people, a process that was stupid, identify it and what it, give a little description of it and tell us how you might solve it. You don't have to solve it and turn them in to us in exchange for like a $5 Starbucks gift card. So yeah. a very small price to do, but just a little bit of incentive, turn them into us within a week. I had a hundred ideas on, on my desk within a week of things. And we put them up on a wall and we started then prioritizing and figuring out which ones we could start making go away. And then having the big red circles, red circle and the crossed out on the wall and celebrate that and give people recognition at meetings. And it took off and it was just a phenomenal success. For the listeners, can you remind them one more time what stupid sounds for? Sure, slow, tedious, unproductive, inefficient, and duplicative. What compels you to give back? Because you do with your time through these podcasts and all the work you do and help people. I, I will admit that I don't know that I did such a good job at that in the past. And I went through um, a pretty scary time, if I admit it in hindsight, looking back, which I don't want to do. But I had a, um, a seizure on the 1st of March in 2018. Whoa. That within about an hour and a half, it turned out that it was a brain tumor that I had to be transferred to another hospital to have it operated and removed. And it was a tumor the size of a small apple in my frontal Jeez. lobe. And um, it was non-cancerous, which was phenomenal news. They got it all. But it does put your life in perspective. It most certainly does. And I've felt more compelled since that time to give back to others and, you know, share the things that I've learned. And uh, if I've made mistakes, I call it, you know, put the hand on the hot stove and go, well, that didn't feel good. If I can save people from those mistakes and help people through that, that's a good thing. So felt a lot more compelled recovering very rapidly uh, in 2018 from that. So great to see you're still here. I'm, I'm glad you are. And, and kudos to you for uh, continuing to, to give back. Uh, I got a couple of other questions for you. One I'm interested your answer on this is around success. Have you got a personal definition of what success means to you? That's an interesting question. It really is. I think it's when you've given everything that you've got to something and you've given it all. It's not necessarily a victory or a trophy, 
but it's whatever you're committed to, giving it everything you've got is a component of success. And I think the other is when you get knocked down, which you will, that you get back up. Mm. Which may not be your traditional success answer, but I think it's continuing to get up and move forward. I've asked that question. I don't, it's not a common question I ask, but when I ask it, it's always interesting to hear people's perspective on what it means to them. And I always get a different answer, which I like asking the question. Um, if you had a magic wand or you were giving, given ultimate decision-making power to add one mandatory subject to the high school curriculum for all American students, and in Europe it's called the secondary school, um, what would it be and why? So one mandatory it, subject. It would probably be personal finance. Probably so. Um, the other one is more, far more minor that I would add, but personal finance would be number one because so many people make mistakes and don't, I see it every day talking to people that are younger that don't understand how to get a credit card. If they get a credit card, how to manage it and not be eaten alive with interest. What happens with student loans? What happens with, you know, getting ready to buy a house? They just don't under, they don't have any of that knowledge. So many mm -hmm. of them don't have it. And it can impact your life so greatly for so many years if you make some mistakes early in your life. I've thought about this myself and because I've asked this question quite regularly and a couple of answers that have come up is like coding is one tech, typically by like people who are like tech co-founders um, uh, uh, who are, or are CTOs. Um, business comes up sometimes. People should study business studies. But I agree with your one. I'd probably choose your your same answer as well. Well, I'd say about thirty percent that I guess that I asked that question to choose that answer. I'm surprised not more choose that answer because it's um it's something I choose. Um, well, well, my old-fashioned answer would have been typing. Would have been what? Typing. Typing. Okay. Yeah. Which is very old-fashioned. Which my mom suggested it because so that way I could type my own papers in college, with no vision of computers being what they are today. But the fact that I can type with a very, with high accuracy, with a fair bit of speed has been a phenomenal impact on being able to get work done that I see a lot of people that can't produce work at the same speed with the same accuracy. Mm. Um, there's a couple of different types of keyboards you can have, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I kind of completely, I remember one friend who like came to me one day and said, oh, I've changed my keyboard to whatever some other keyboard was. And I said, why'd you do that? And he says, so I can type emails 14% faster. And I was like, the goal of writing an email is not to type the email faster. It's to like write a good email. Like, well, like a good email a, a faster email. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. You often want to save that email and think about it before you send it. You send it too fast, they can get yourself in a bunch of, bunch of trouble. But, but they did design the keyboard that we typically use to slow mm. you down, to keep typewriter keys from jamming was originally why it's designed. So there is a point that there's a faster method of laying it out with more commonly used letters, but I, I haven't gone there. I haven't. Yeah, he came back at me with that argument. And then I said, that's all well and good for your laptop. But when you use someone else's laptop, you're <laughs> going to be going back to the, the standard or you use your phone, you're going to be going back to the standard. So like, why? But anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I think our one of our you know greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln, used to suggest, he had found letters that he wrote but never sent and then he would calm down and then he would write the letter anew and I think we could all do better that with emails too if we fire emails off and then go probably should have waited and reread that email 
versus send it real quickly. I've, I've done that myself before. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I'll, where I'll write it and I'll like leave it in the drafts and I'll come back the next day and I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I didn't send that because I can <laughs> I can see how they might interpret it or I can change a word or add this, you know? Exactly, and it's, and it's in the eye of the beholder. They can't get the tone that you meant. They can't see whether you're joking. They can't tell whether you're serious. It's very hard to convey in writing what you meant. Sometimes I, I prefer Zoom or FaceTime because you can actually see the, the emotions on someone's face and Absolutely. how they interpret and the language that you speak and everything. Um, I know you're an author yourself, but are there any books or podcasts that you listen to or read that um, you get value from? Um, I'd like to, I would keep it broader of books that I read is I tend to every year get a series of non nonfiction books of all different types of topics and, and read them to just keep the mind open and look for different things. So right now I'm working with one that's, um, the ethics of ambiguity that was actually suggested by my, by my uh, youngest son. And it's quite a, quite a read translated from French in 1947, but it, it gives all sorts of interesting perspectives of things that I'd never read. Somehow I missed that completely. Um, you know, and it might be on astronomy or it might be on all different types of topics. Um, I'm a fan of history. So anything you can learn that way is, I think, good. So uh, that was my undergraduate degree. But I try mm-hmm. to also mix it up and read different things, whether it's business books or uh, I'm reading one right now also on um, uh, President Obama from the, that he wrote. So working my way through that one uh, nice. at the moment. So try to mix it up a bit, get new ideas in there. I love it. Two, two final questions for you. Um, if you fast forward to the end of this decade, so the year 2030, and you're looking back on the previous decade, so from 2020 to 2030, um, you can answer this personally, professionally, or, or a combination of both. What would you like to be looking back on if you imagine we're now talking in the year 2030 and you're looking back? Um, I would like to you know, have had a fair amount of success at this book that's coming out that's just right now being published. Uh, as well as the second one, I discovered that I had more ideas in my head and have the outline for another another one on the computer right now. I just need to get through publishing one, but somehow I have an outline for another book completely. So I'd like to be at the point of having a second one published, and I would like to be able to connect with more people and help them with their businesses and to have been successful at launching or turning around small businesses and taking them to the next level. I think that would be uh, compelling. No doubt you've done that on today's podcast. Uh, one final question for you, and I was asked to ask this. Uh, who is Ricky the Goat? <laughs> Ricky the Goat. Uh, I don't think Ricky's with us anymore, but uh, uh, I actually had a very bad habit of hard-coding things into Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. that I had a CFO that seemed much older at the time, but he was really like 20 years older than me, and he would correct me and find mistakes in my work and get really frustrated and one day I walked in and he's looking at the work that I sent him on email and he's looking at it and he was like did I ever tell you about Ricky my goat Ricky and I'm like no and he goes into a story about Ricky the goat and he said Ricky liked getting jumping over the fence and running around and getting with the female goats and I'm like uh-huh and he's like you know but we tried and we put up a fence but he jumped the fence and we tried putting him on a on a on a you know a rope, but it still managed to get across to the, the female goats. We finally we put barbed wire on the top of the fence. And we thought that did it. 
he's not going to ever get over to those female goats anymore. And I'm sitting there going, don't have any idea where this is going. Don't know why I'm being told about Ricky. Don't have a clue. He said, but one day I came home from school and Ricky had somehow got that rope just far enough. He jumped up over the fence, but it got caught on his private parts on the barbed wire. And I went, oh, and he says, and if you hard code something one more time, you're going to be just like Ricky. <laughs> I love it. And and that was the last time I hard-coded anything in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> he, um, he found a way to get his message through to me that, that made it very clear to me that I think he actually threatened me in some way, but um, mm. he got his point across. I like it. I like it. Great story. Robert, it's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last 30, 35 minutes. Uh, thanks for sharing your story today. Uh, if listeners want to learn more about you, connect with you on LinkedIn or go to your website. I'll leave links to both of those below. I'll also leave a link to your book below as well. Um, other than that, just thanks for being my guest today and I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby. Nothing in the water.